0: Kinder or more helpful. Patrick O'Brien. And now, Master and Commander. Chapter 1 The music room in the Governor's house at Port Mahon, a tall, handsome, pillared octagon, was filled with the triumphant first movement of Locatelli's C-Major Quartet. The players—Italians, pinned against the far wall by rows and rows of little round gilt chairs—were playing with passionate conviction as they mounted towards the penultimate crescendo, towards the tremendous pause and the deep, liberating final chord. And on the little gilt chairs at least some of the audience were following the rise with an equal intensity. There were two in the third row on the left-hand side, and they happened to be sitting next to one another. The listener farther to the left was a man of between twenty and thirty, whose big form overflowed his seat, leaving only a streak of gilt wood to be seen here and there. He was wearing his best uniform—the white-lapelled blue coat, white waistcoat, breeches and stockings of a lieutenant in the Royal Navy— With the silver medal of the Nile in his buttonhole, and the deep white cuff of his gold-buttoned sleeve beat the time, while his bright blue eyes, staring from what would have been a pink-and-white face, if it had not been so deeply tanned, gazed fixedly at the bow of the first violin. The high note came, the pause, the resolution. And with the resolution, the sailor's fist swept firmly down upon his knee. He leant back in his chair, extinguishing it entirely, sighed happily, and turned towards his neighbour with a smile. The words, very finely played, sir, I believe, were formed in his gullet, if not quite in his mouth, when he caught the cold and indeed inimical look, and heard the whisper, If you really must beat the measure, sir, let me entreat you to do so in time, and not half a beat ahead. Jack Aubrey's face instantly changed from friendly, ingenuous, communicative pleasure to an expression of somewhat baffled hostility. He could not but acknowledge that he had been beating the time, and although he had certainly done so with perfect accuracy, in itself the thing was wrong— His colour mounted. He fixed his neighbour's pale eye for a moment, said, I trust, and the opening notes of the slow movement cut him short. The ruminative cello uttered two phrases of its own, and then began a dialogue with the viola. Only part of Jack's mind paid attention, for the rest of it was anchored to the man at his side. "'A covert glance showed that he was a small, dark, white-faced creature in a rusty black coat—a civilian. "'It was difficult to tell his age, for not only had he that kind of face that does not give anything away, "'but he was wearing a wig—a grizzled wig, apparently made of wire and quite devoid of powder. "'He might have been anything between twenty and sixty. "'About my own age, in fact, however,' thought Jack. "'The ill-looking son of a bitch to give himself such airs.' "'With this, almost the whole of his attention went back into the music. "'He found his place in the pattern, "'and followed it through its convolutions and quite charming arabesques "'to its satisfying, logical conclusion. "'He didn't think of his neighbour again until the end of the movement.' Then he avoided looking in his direction. The minuet set Jack's head wagging with its insistent beat, but he was wholly unconscious of it, and when he felt his hand stirring on his breeches and threatening to take to the air, he thrust it under the crook of his knee. It was a witty, agreeable minuet no more, but it was succeeded by a curiously difficult, almost harsh last movement— "'a piece that seemed to be on the edge of saying something of the very greatest importance. "'The volume of sound died away to the single whispering of a fiddle, "'and the steady hum of low conversation that had never stopped at the back of the room "'threatened to drown it. The soldier exploded in a stifled guffaw, and Jack looked angrily round. "'Then the rest of the quartet joined the fiddle, and all of them worked back to the point from which the statement might arise. It was essential to get straight back into the current, so, as the cello came in with its predictable and necessary contribution of pom, 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 pom-pom-pom-poom, Jack's chin sank upon his breast, and in unison with the cello he went pom-pom-pom-pom-poom. An elbow drove into his ribs, and the sound shh hissed in his ear. "'He found that his hand was high in the air, beating time. "'He lowered it, clenched his mouth shut, "'and looked down at his feet until the music was over. "'He heard the noble conclusion, "'and recognised that it was far beyond the straightforward winding up "'that he had foreseen, but he could take no pleasure in it. "'In the applause and general din his neighbour looked at him, "'not so much with defiance,' as with total heartfelt disapprobation. They did not speak, but sat in rigid awareness of one another, while Mrs. Hart, the commandant's wife, went through a long and technically difficult piece on her harp. Jack Aubrey looked out of the long, elegant windows into the night. Saturn was rising in the south-southeast, "'a glowing ball in the Menorcan sky. "'A nudge, a thrust of that kind, "'so vicious and deliberate, was very like a blow. "'Neither his personal temper nor his professional code "'could patiently suffer an affront, "'and what affront was graver than a blow. "'As it could not for the moment find any outward expression, "'his anger took on the form of melancholy. "'He thought of his shiply state.' of half and whole promises made to him and broken, and of the many schemes he had built up on visionary foundations. He owed his prize-agent, his man of business, a hundred and twenty pounds, and its interest of fifteen per cent was about to fall due, and his pay was five pounds twelve shillings a month. He thought of men he knew, junior to him, but with better luck or better interest, Who were now lieutenants in command of brigs or cutters, or who had even been promoted master and commander. And all of them snapping up trabacolos in the Adriatic, tartans in the Gulf of Lyons, zebeks and settees along the whole of the Spanish coast. Glory, professional advancement, prize money. The storm of applause told him that the performance was over, and he beat his palms industriously, stretching his mouth into an expression of rapturous delight. Molly Hart curtsied and smiled, caught his eye and smiled again. He clapped louder. But she saw that he was either not pleased, or that he had not been attending, and her pleasure was sensibly diminished. However— She continued to acknowledge the compliments of her audience with a radiant smile, looking very well in pale blue satin and a great double rope of pearls. Pearls from the Santa Brigida. Jack Aubrey and his neighbour in the rusted black coat stood up at the same time, and they looked at one another. Jack let his face return to its expression of cold dislike, the dying remnants of his artificial rapture were peculiarly disagreeable as they faded, and in a low voice he said, My name is Aubrey, sir. I am staying at the Crown. Mine, sir, is Maturin. I am to be found any morning at Holcelito's coffee-house. May I beg you to stand aside? For a moment Jack felt the strongest inclination to snatch up his little gilt chair and beat the white-faced man down with it but he gave way with a tolerable show of civility. He had no choice unless he was to be run into, and shortly afterwards he worked through the crowd of tight-packed blue or red coats, with the occasional civilian black, as far as the circle round Mrs. Hart, called out charming, capital, beautifully played, over heads three deep, waved his hand, and left the room. As he went through the hall, he exchanged greetings with two other sea officers, one of them a former messmate in the gun room of the Agamemnon, who said, "You're looking very hip, Jack," and with a tall midshipman stiff with the sense of occasion and the rigour of his starched frilled shirt, who had been a youngster in his watch in the Thunderer, and lastly, he bowed to the commandant's secretary, who returned his bow with a smile, raised eyebrows, and a very significant look. "'I wonder what that infamous brute has been up to now,' thought Jack, walking down towards the harbour. As he walked, memories of the secretary's duplicity and of his own ignoble truckling to that influential personage came into his mind. A beautiful, newly-coppered, Newly captured little French privateer had been virtually promised to him. The secretary's brother had appeared from Gibraltar. Adieu. Kiss my hand to that command. Kiss my ass, said Jack aloud, remembering the politic tameness with which he had received the news, together with the secretary's renewed professions of goodwill and of unspecified good offices to be performed in the future then he remembered his own conduct that evening particularly his withdrawing to let the small man walk by and his inability to find any remark any piece of repartee that would have been both crushing and well clear of boorishness he was profoundly dissatisfied with himself and with the man in the black coat and with the service and with the velvet softness of the April night, and the choir of nightingales in the orange trees, and the host of stars hanging so low as almost to touch the palms. The crown, where Jack was staying, had a certain resemblance to its famous namesake in Portsmouth. It had the same immense gilt and scarlet sign hanging up outside, a relic of former British occupations, and the house had been built about 1750, in the purest English taste, with no concessions whatever to the Mediterranean except for the tiles. But there the likeness stopped. The landlord was from Gibraltar, and the staff was Spanish, or rather Minorcan. The place smelt of olive oil, sardines, and wine— and there was not the least possibility of a quilt tart, an Eccles' cake, or even a decent suet pudding. Yet, on the other hand, no English inn could produce a chambermaid so very like a dusky peach as Mercedes. She bounced out onto the dim landing, filling it with vitality and a kind of glow, and she called up the stairs, A letter teniente. I bring him. A moment later she was at his side, "'smiling with innocent delight. "'But he was only too clearly aware "'of what any letter addressed to him might have in it, "'and he did not respond with anything more than "'a mechanical jocosity and a vague dart at her bosom. "'And the Captain Allen come for you,' she added. "'Allen? "'Allen? "'What the devil can he want with me?' "'Captain Allen was a quiet... Elderly man. All that Jack knew of him was that he was an American loyalist, and that he was considered very set in his ways, invariably attacked by suddenly putting his helm lee, and wore a long-skirted waistcoat. "'Oh, the funeral, no doubt,' he said. "'A subscription.' "'Sad to niente, sad,' said Mercedes, going away along the corridor.' Teniente.' "'Jack took his candle from the table and went straight to his room. "'He didn't trouble with the letter until he had thrown off his coat and untied his stock. "'Then he looked suspiciously at the outside. "'He noticed that it was addressed, in a hand he didn't know, to Captain Aubrey R.N. "'He frowned, said, "'Damn fool,' and turned the letter over.' The black seal had been blurred in the impression, and although he held it close to the candle, directing the light in a slanting manner over its surface, he couldn't make it out. "'I can't make it out,' he said.